I love that hymn. If there were something I would change, it would be that first line. Because it's a corporate hymn, I would say, to thy temple we repair. It's not just something we're doing kind of in private here, but we're doing it together. And that's something of the emphasis of the passage we're going to look at. If you turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. I'd like to read the first 10 verses of this chapter. To get the context, we're going to focus on a section sort of in the middle, especially verse 5 of this passage of this section of 1 Timothy 2. But I want to get the context, so read with me from verse 1 of 1 Peter chapter 2. And in a way, you know what? Let's go back to chapter 1, verse 22 and set the stage for chapter 2. There were no chapters, numbers, of course, when Peter wrote this. 1 Peter 1, 22. Since then, you have in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord abides forever. And this is the word which was preached, literally evangelized, preached as good news to you. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word, that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord, or literally, if you have tasted that the Lord is kind. And coming to him as to a living stone, rejected by men, but choice and precious in the sight of God, you also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him shall not be disappointed. This precious value, then, is for you who believe. But for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word, and to this doom they were also appointed. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now... You are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let's pray and ask that God would help us. We confess we are but dry grass. But God's word abides forever. And that's the word that we're here to listen to this morning. Pray that it would abide not merely on the page, but in our hearts and bear much fruit. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we did not come here to listen to mere dry grass. We came here to listen to your living and abiding word, which even as 
Peter said in the end of chapter 1, this word which was preached as gospel brought to them new life, new birth, is brought to us the same. Many of us here can say, we have tasted, we have come to know your kindness. You are a kind, gracious God. We have tasted of your loving kindness through Jesus, your Son, our Savior. And having tasted of this loving kindness, help us then to come with hearts filled to overflowing, to worship or adore, to glorify your name. Help us then to do what we are called to do, even by this passage we have read, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we look at verse 5 in particular, we want to see, first of all, uh, three, three blessings. And you have a little outline there in your uh, paper, but I, I would encourage you, don't just stare at that. I mean, not that looking up here is any great sight, but uh, as I preach to you, let's focus on what God has to say. There are, there are three blessings in verse 5 that God gives to those who have tasted that he is kind, those who have been born again, brought to a new and living hope, as he said at the end of uh, chapter 1. What are these blessings that we have here corporately together this morning? Three blessings. And then the great purpose of these blessings, he also states in this verse, uh, that we are to offer up spiritual sacrifices. And then lastly, there's the only means of offering these sacrifices, and that is, he says in this little phrase, through Jesus Christ, acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So those are the three main points then this morning, and the first is the largest, the threefold blessing. What do you get? Of course, being born again is you get new life. There's, there's so much contained even in that at the end of chapter one. You were born again. You've uh, come to a living hope and so on. You've tasted that the Lord is kind, but what else? What do we get corporately? He says here, first of all, that coming to him as living stones, you also as living stones are being built up. Living stones. So just take that little phrase, and we sometimes pass over these things in our Bibles, but just think about that. You go out into your garden. Now, uh, I know people talk to their plants uh, yeah, okay. I talked to our, you, well, we don't have a dog now in New Jersey. I talked to our dog. I didn't talk to plants very much, but talk to stones. You ever talk to stones? You, know, you can talk to your stones to your blue in the face. They're not going to answer you. They don't talk back. They don't, they don't say anything. They don't do anything. At least a dog will roll over and stick his feet up and ask you to rub his belly. Uh, plants, well, maybe they, you know, I don't know if they lean towards your voice. They lean toward the sun, but a stone. I mean, a stone is the epitome of deadness. And here he uses an adjective in front of the word stone, which is shocking. You also as living stones. And so there's in this a kind of a, a contrast just in that little phrase at the beginning. You also as living stones. So the, the before is stones. What do stones do? Well, if, a, if you have a rolling stone... It's going to roll down. Rolling stone gathers no moss, says the old saying, but it goes down. Rolling stones don't roll up. And a stone is going to go down to the pit. If, there, if we were going anywhere, that's where we were going as stones. Uh, they're dead as the bones in Ezekiel's vision. You know, perhaps you've read Ezekiel's vision where there's the valley covered with dead bones 
And uh, the messenger asks him, can these bones live? And I, as an engineering student, I sometimes would answer the professor, sir, you know. <laughs> well, sometimes that's a good answer. If you don't know the answer, you tell the teacher, yeah, I don't know, but you know, tell me. And that's what Ezekiel did. He said, you know, my Lord, you know. And the answer was, prophesy to the bones. Well, again, prophesying to bones doesn't seem like a very profitable uh, exercise, but the prophet did it, and the bones came together. Still dead bones, but they're coming together. Prophesied to the bones. Then they took on flesh, and they stood up, a great army. Well, here you are, dead bones, and if there's any encouragement to preachers in this, it is that as you talk to people who look at you with this kind of glazed look and appear to be off, you know, in some other country or on the moon or Mars, God can make them alive because I was a dead bone. I was a dead stone. God made me alive. I showed a picture this morning in the report earlier of that young lady, Yell, and she was one of those who would sit there, oh, she was a very nice young lady and sometimes appreciative of the preaching, but it was like you're talking to a dead stone. But you see, this is the marvelous thing. Preachers, at least when they're thinking right, have no confidence in themselves. Because I can't make a dead stone come to life. But God can. And as we preach, to those who are dead in their trespasses and sins. It's God's almighty word. This is the word that was preached as gospel to you. And as it took effect in our lives, brothers and sisters, it can take effect in the lives of those who seem as far from the kingdom as Saul who was persecuting the church. God can take it. And this is what happens. Dead stones come to light. Now, how does that happen? Well, Jesus said, no one can come to me. If you put a period there, it's pretty hopeless. No one can come. Well, it's true, though. Human ability, non-existent, spiritually speaking. Men can do a lot of things. They can build tall buildings. They can send a rocket to the moon or to Mars, but they can't. Make a dead stone live. No man can come to me except unless the Father who sent me draws him. And how does the Father do that? Well, like Lazarus in the tomb, the word comes. Lazarus, come forth. You heard the word. This was the word which was preached as gospel to you. Do you remember the time, brethren, when, when the gospel first made sense to you? I can remember. Maybe it wasn't the message, perhaps. I can remember sitting there and I was wrestling with God. And the message came. Oh, I'd heard the gospel years and it came. And something happened. You hear the word. And the gospel comes in power. Now, let me just say... If you're not yet converted, you don't ha yet have this new life that is spoken of in this passage, 
Are you just going to sit there and wait to get zapped? You know, if you're a dead stone, maybe you think, well, I'm just going to sit and wait. Maybe God's going to do something, but that's his business. Well, you see, you also need to come. No man can come to me. Okay, I can't, but you can draw near to him. You can listen. Uh, You can say to him, I'm a sinner. What's the warrant? Jesus came to call sinners. Are you a sinner? You know you are. You look in your heart, you look in your life, and you say, yeah, there's a lot of mess here. That's because you're a sinner. That's because you disobey God. Why is the, think of our country. Why is it in this mess? Because they've thrown God's law out and they don't want to listen to it. That causes real trouble in your life, in the country, in the world. What can I do? I can't do anything. No man can come to me. Jesus said, if I am lifted up, the Son of Man is lifted up, John chapter, he will draw all men to himself. You look to the Lamb of God, coming to him as to a living stone, it says in the previous verse. You come to him, you say, I'm a sinner. I'm reje- he was rejected. I'm hopeless, except for him. The Son of Man came to give his life a ransom for many. And if, a, if it's many, it's not a few. And if it's not a few, there's room for you coming to him. And so now that they've come, they're alive. They have new life, that which is life indeed. Paul wrote in uh, Timothy, in 1 Timothy 6, to those who are rich, he said, uh, instruct them to do good. Not to set their, their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but to do good, to be rich in good works, generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future. And this is the phrase I'm, I'm after in Second Timothy, First Timothy six nineteen, that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. The world says, well, Coke adds life. I don't know, I think Coke probably is not going to make you live longer. I'm not advertising for or against Coke. Don't, don't sue me. But uh, you, you get the point. That's, that's not life. Jesus came. He said that they might have life and have it more abundantly. He says in his prayer, this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Let's sum this up. Living stones. Taken from being dead to being alive in Christ. Is that a blessing? That's the first thing that he just really, with this short phrase that he describes, living stones taken from death to life. But then there's another blessing that's in this phrase, in this verse. You also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. And so the stones are now a spiritual house. They're not independent stones. They're on their own, doing their own thing. And this is why I said that hymn ought to say, to thy temple we repair. And by the word repair doesn't mean that we're going to fix it. It means that we return. Old English. To your temple we return. Uh, You see, the living stones, we don't just worship God on our own at home. And you know, during COVID, perhaps you know some churches met online, and maybe some people got kind of used to just sitting there with their latte and 
watching it at home in their pajamas, but that's not the same thing. We come together, living stones built. As we, there's a Filipino word, uh, it doesn't translate so well, but built on top of each other, all fitted together. And I don't know if we have any masons here, but you know when they build a wall, they don't just stack the bricks up like this. They're interlocked like this. Why? Because it's then it's strong. We're built together as a temple of God. As Paul said to the Corinthians, and, and this is true in a sense individually, but it's true corporately. We, he says in 1 Corinthians 3.16, do you not know that you plural, are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you, 1 Corinthians 3.16. If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, and that is what you are. Brethren, we have a mission here. We have a work to do. You are not just a stone there sitting there. You're a living stone, but you're built together to be God's temple. Now, what that means is that the, the Spirit of God dwells in this place. Now, he dwells in you individually as a Christian. Our bodies, we read in 1 Corinthians 6, are temples of the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. So individually, yes, our, my body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. But he's talking especially corporately here in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. We're built together. So what is this church? I'm not talking about the cinder blocks or whatever's used in the building materials of this building. I'm talking about y'all, <laughs> all you people, the people of God. We together form the dwelling of the living God who made heaven and earth. Remember there in the prophets where in Isaiah where God says, Heaven is too big to contain him. Where is a house you can build for me? We are it. The temple for the holy, living, immense, eternal, infinite God to dwell in our midst. Now, in other words, when we gather in this place, this is something awesome. I didn't mean that word not in a kind of, the, you know, the cliche word that's bandied about, oh man, that's awesome. Uh, I'm talking about filled with awe. We together are in the presence. In fact, God himself has promised he will dwell in our midst. Think of this as it took place in the temple that was built by Solomon. Look back in 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and look at their response to God dwelling in that temple, yes, made with hands, but God deigned, he came down to dwell in their midst. Second Chronicles chapter 7, after Solomon built the temple, after his prayer of dedication, this is what happened. Second Chronicles 7, 1. Now when Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the house. And the priests could not enter into the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. And all the sons of Israel, seeing the fire come down and the glory of the Lord upon the house, 
bowed down on the pavement with their faces to the ground, and they worshipped and gave praise to the Lord, saying, Truly, he is good, and his loving kindness is everlasting. They bowed down. They were struck with a sense of his majesty, his power, his holiness, and his loving kindness. Loving kindness is everlasting. And so as we gather here today, we praise God for his loving kindness. We have more reason than those Israelites to declare the Lord is kind, as we read here in 1 Peter chapter 2. You have tasted. We know the Lord is kind. Why? Because he did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. The Lord's loving kindness is everlasting. So we gather we are in his presence. We might not see the fire come down and consume sacrifices. You know, we don't have our offering bag or whatever the plate burn up in front of us. We don't have such, you know, pyrotechnics. But nonetheless, we have the promise of Jesus. I am in your midst, two or three gathered. Where we meet the minimum. I am in your midst. May I say it? God is in this place. We often just come to church, business as usual, but God, the living God, creator of the heavens and the earth, is in this place. May God reveal his glory in our midst. But furthermore, there's a third blessing going back to 1 Peter chapter 2. There's a third blessing that Peter mentions to them. All right, so we're living stones, we're no longer dead, we're brought to life in Christ. We are built together into a holy temple, a dwelling place of God for a spiritual priesthood. And so he changes the imagery. He goes outside of the building, which is built of these living stones. And now he goes inside the building and he says, you're, some, you're doing something in that building, which you are. You are a holy priesthood. Now, just to note here that they're all priests. He said you, and it's a plural you. It's not you singular. And in, you know, in, this, in Southern English, and by the way, I'm from New Orleans. I don't know if y'all know that in my history, but down South, we, we can say this. We can say, y'all are the temple of spiritual house. Y'all are spiritual priests. And of course, in New Jersey, I guess we could say it, use guys, but it's plural. We are this temple, but we have something to do in it. We don't just come here like a stone and sit here, okay, I'm here now. You all have some active participation in what goes on in this place. You are spiritual, holy priests. Now, they're all priests and they're all holy. In other words, they're all set aside for this. It's not just that, oh, you know, like in some churches, there's the priest and there's the laity. Well, they're set aside. 
No, he's saying you're all holy, that is, you're all set aside, you're all called to this work. And so when you come to this place, it's not a spectator sport. You're not sitting there and there's somebody up here doing his thing. We're all here to do this thing. We're all spiritual priests, holy priests, set apart, set aside to be engaged, to be working. This is what uh, Baptists call the priesthood of all believers. Now, that's a phrase which can be abused so that everybody thinks, well, you know, uh, we have no pastors. No, who are you think you are? I'm a priest here uh, to, to sort of boss the pastor around. Well, no, we do have officers in the church and the New Testament and Peter himself certainly recognizes this. He says in 1 Peter chapter 5, I exhort the elders among you. So he recognizes there are elders in the church, there are officers in the church. He's not saying we just level everybody to the same level, but he is saying this. Everybody, every true believer, every member of the church has a part, has something to do when the church gathers. We are all priests. We're all involved. We all have a part to play in what goes on in this place. That's not just to say, well, I, I clean the toilets or I set up the chairs. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about in this act of worship, in our gathering here, we all have a part. We're all priests. We're all living stones. We're all built together into this temple. We're all priests. Now, that's a blessing. Just think about it. Let's summarize what we learned so far. You're not dead anymore. Okay? Now, there may be some of you who are still dead. I pray that as the word is preached, God will use it and bring new life today. He does that. He's a marvelous God. He can turn you from death to life, just like that, by the power of his word. But it doesn't end there. We're built together. We're a dwelling of God. God's in this place. And thirdly, we have work to do. We're all holy priests, called to be priests, set aside for this matchless work. Now, the second thing that we want to look at, those are the three blessings. What is the purpose of it? Look at the text again. You are built up, being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to, this is a purpose clause, for this purpose to offer up spiritual sacrifices. These are sacrifices of worship, not sacrifices of propitiation, not to make expiation for sins, not atoning sacrifices. As when God came down into Solomon's temple, the passage I read earlier in 2 Chronicles, what did they do? They offered up sacrifices. The fire came down and consumed the sacrifices. They worshiped and gave praise to God. He is good. His loving kindness is everlasting. And the next verse I didn't read then the king and all the people offered sacrifice before the Lord. Now, kings are not priests. All the people were not priests, but they offered sacrifices. What is that? It's not atoning sacrifices, but it's sacrifices of praise, free will offerings. We are all here to do the same. Thank offerings, praise offerings. We cannot add to the once for all sacrifice of Jesus. That's done, it's over but we can offer the sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving. So uh, where do we start? Well, of course, yourself, living sacrifices. Romans chapter 12, we are living sacrifices. 
not just you know what you do in church, but your whole life is to God. But let's think about what we do together here. What are the specific sacrifices? And you know that hymn that we sang earlier mentions some of these things I'm going to say. Well, first of all, praise and thanksgiving. Turn to Hebrews. And by the way, I tried to find scripture reference, not just, you know, give my own imagination here. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 15 tells us something of spiritual sacrifice. Hebrews 13, 15. And the writer to the Hebrew says, Through him then, that is Jesus, who suffered outside the gate, through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name, that confess his name literally. Our lips, we confess his name when we sing. We offer this sacrifice of praise. That's why, brethren, when we sing, Don't be like a dumb dog. You might say, well, I don't have a very nice voice. Oh, sister so-and-so, she, she can sing. I'll, I'll listen to her. You might not have a, good, a great voice. But the Lord doesn't say that it's a sweet sound. He says it's a sweet smell. <laughs> Lift up your voice as a sacrifice of praise. That's part of what you are tasked to do as one of his priests. Do you embrace that? You know, sometimes, let's be honest, we, we, we open our hymnal, and because maybe the hymn is familiar, we just go through the words, and then we think, did I turn off the coffee maker? Or something else comes into your mind. Oh, this is what I got to do tomorrow. Oh, their sister so-and-so, I need to give her this. And our mouths are moving. You're a priest. And you're offering a sacrifice. Be involved. Engage in this holy work of offering the sacrifice of praise. There's something more here. There's doing good and sharing. Look at the next verse. Verse 16. And do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices god is pleased you know part of what we give and and tithes and offerings we'll come back to or uh, look at another verse for it but part of our offerings go toward benevolence and yet you don't have to just wait for the deacons to do that if you know of a need you see a brother in need what do you do you meet the need well that that's a sacrifice of course we don't do it per, perhaps during the worship service at least generally speaking except what we put in the offering but that's a sacrifice as a living stone, as a holy priest of God that's well-pleasing to him. Doing good and sharing with such sacrifices, God is pleased. Benevolence, the church's work of benevolence is a good sacrifice. But then furthermore, the ties, just in general, not, not just what goes for benevolence work, but look at Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, and here we're talking about especially those offerings that might be used for gospel propagation. Philippians chapter 4, verse 15 to 18. And Paul had spoken about being content in his circumstances, that he wasn't looking for them to give him money, 
you know, some missionaries, when they talk, it's uh, half of it's about, well, we need money for this work. You know, if the car's going to go, it needs gas. And if our mission's going to go, we need your money. Well, thankfully, I never had to do that because people gave of their own accord towards that work. But here, this is what Paul says about it. He says, you yourselves know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. You see, when they in Philippi put money in the offering or however they collected it, and it was sent to Paul there in Thessalonica or perhaps now in Rome to help support him in his missionary work, Paul says, that wasn't just given to me. That was given to God. And God took note of it. And it was a sacrifice that made him, if I may excuse the language, but that made him happy. That was well-pleasing to the living God. Sacrifices. That's what we're doing. When you put your money in the plane, don't just think, well, you know, I've got to pay the bills at church. We've got to heat the building. We've got to pay for the pastors we've got to support this and all right yeah or um, uh, god said you know give your, your tithe bring your tithes to the store I, I'll, I'll give my money think about it you are offering a sacrifice well pleasing to god when you put that money in the plate this is part of worship that's why we don't just put a box back there i, I mean that's what happened you got the plate here that's why we don't just leave a box, because it's part of our worship that we give these sacrifices to God. What else? Well, prayer is also a sacrifice, in a sense, that we offer to God. Where do we see that in the Bible? We'll look at Revelation chapter 5 and verse 8. Of course, the scene is here. There in the throne room of heaven, the Lamb comes and takes the scroll out of the hand of him who sits on the throne, the Lamb who is the Lion from the tribe of Judah. And as he takes this out of the hand of him who sat on the throne, we read verse 8, And when he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each one having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Now, incense is one type of offering. It's an offering by a smell, a sweet savor, a sweet odor unto the Lord. Well, part of that sweet savor before the Lord is our prayers. It's an offering. So think about that. When you are sitting there and someone's leading in prayer here, of course, it's easy perhaps to daydream or perhaps even to nod off. I'm guilty of both. I know what it is to be tired. I know what it is to have your mind be distracted. But think about it. 
I'm here not just to sit while the man finishes his prayer and says amen. Kids, you know what I used to do, and I don't be tempted to do this. Our pastor in our church when I was growing up, he could pray a long time. And I would count and see how high I got before he said amen. Don't do it. I'm not giving you an example to follow. I'm giving an example not to do. Because when, when we're praying, that pastor is up here. He pray, we prayed earlier for the Philippines. We prayed for churches in California. We prayed for those situations in the world where there's no peace. Was your heart engaged? It's not just him doing his thing. We're all living stones. We're all holy priests. We're all to be engaged in offering up the incense before the throne of God. And when you say amen at the end, it's not just saying, oh, we're done now. It's saying, yes, Lord. My heart was with his heart as we prayed. Prayer, the incense. But you know, there's, there's one more sacrifice that perhaps we skip over uh, because it, it, it's not a, an explicit New Testament term of our New Testament worship, but it's what you're doing now. All right, I'm up here, I'm talking, you're sitting, are you doing nothing? Go back in the Old Testament to Psalm 51. And here is a sacrifice which you can offer to God as you sit and listen to his word. Psalm 51. And here there's something of a contrast between the good and the better, the good and the excellent. He says here in Psalm 51, verse 17, and of course, he, going back a verse, he says, you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it, for you're not pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Now, of course, he's not saying the sacrifices which were commanded by Moses are bad things. That's in the law. That's what they should have done. On the Day of Atonement, they, bring the, they, they need to do that. But you see, if that's without the heart, it's useless. What he's saying here is, a true sacrifice is one which has a broken heart with it. Now think of David. He's writing this after he had gone in to Bathsheba. Nathan the prophet came to him. And Nathan the prophet came and he told that little parable about the man who had the, uh, the little lamb and the rich man and so on. And he took the man's lamb and, and David was incensed. And Nathan says, and, and Charles Spurgeon says, did he think he pointed his finger out and says, you're the man that probably would have been off with your head. But he perhaps said it more painedly, you are the man. What was David's response? broken and a contrite heart. David knew what he was talking about. A heart that says, I'm burdened with my sin. I need a savior. A heart that embraces the savior because God had told him your sin is forgiven. And he knew that would be through the mediator that was prophesied. He embraced this. And so when you come, of course, not every sermon is going to leave you uh, broken in that sense. Not every sermon is going to leave you feeling, I am the man, I am guilty, I need a Savior. But every sermon points you to Christ, whether it's encouragement, whether it's conviction, 
whether it's what we need to do or what we fail to do, it's pointing us to Christ. Broken in a contrite heart. We don't come here boasting and say, look what I did. Hmm. We don't have any set of accomplishments here on the front wall. Look at what so-and-so did. We don't have any stained glass with donated by so-and-so. We're not looking to pronounce human accomplishment. We're looking at the lamb that was slain. We're looking at him and saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive blessing and honor and power and glory and dominion forever and ever. That's a sacrifice of a broken heart. Not boasting, not arrogant, humbly trusting in the Lamb. This is a heart as you receive his word. And so let me encourage you. Maybe the word comes with conviction. Maybe the word comes and says, you're the man. What are you going to do? Are you going to say, oh, I don't like this preaching. I'm going to go somewhere else where they stroke me. Make me feel good. <laughs> Brethren, not that we're, our job is to make you feel bad. I hope you don't get that. But it's to make you feel good through the Lamb. To point to Him. He is the balm that cures the broken heart. But if you don't come with a broken heart, He's not going to cure you. If you come with a proud heart, what did Jesus say? Is not the righteous, but sinners I came to call. You come as a sinner, and Christ gives you all you need. And so we come with this broken heart as part of our sacrifice. Come listening humbly to the word. I, I heard a preacher once who talked about gorillas, you know, the, the gorilla who sits there. Well, I don't see any gorillas here this morning. It's a good thing. But don't be like that. Don't get mad at the preacher when he might, you know, put his finger on the wound. He's here to do good and to help you, not to look just at the wound, but to look at the Savior who cures the sin-sick soul. There's a balm in Gilead, the old gospel song went, to heal the sin-sick soul. And that balm is Jesus. And so... We're here to offer up these sacrifices, not doing nothing. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Blessed are the people he has chosen for his inheritance. Blessed are the people who are his priests. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. So come with that attitude. One of my favorite Psalms, Psalm 100, verse 2, serve the Lord Fill in the blank with gladness. Is that your posture coming here this morning? Why be glad? Because though I was downcast, though I was a sinner, though I was undone, I was unclean. He's taken me a dead stone, made me alive. He's brought me into his temple as a living stone put together. He's given me work to do, a priest to offer to him, the great God sacrifices pleasing to him now the last point briefly is this it's this little phrase going back to first peter chapter two acceptable to god how how can i ever me a filthy sinner a dead stone how can i ever do anything acceptable to god well, it tells us here through jesus christ Sacrifice is acceptable to God. The only way for that is the mediator, the high priest, the great high priest, the Lord Jesus. 
Notice what we saw with regard to those gifts, those tithes and offerings back in Philippians, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Praise and benevolence, back in Hebrews 13, with such sacrifices, God is well-pleased. How does that happen? We sinners bring offerings that are tainted with our sin. But as it's offered, there's a mediator who comes in between. He takes that sacrifice. He says, let me handle this. And he washes it. And he cleanses all the filth, all the mind wandering, all the sin that still attaches to our best performance. He washes it. And what does he use? His own blood cleanses us from all sin. And then God looks on that sacrifice and says, this is wonderful. It is well-pleasing. It is a delicious aroma. What, my offering? Yes, because we have a mediator through Jesus Christ. You know, so many people look at religion and think, okay, I got to do this, this, and the other thing. Okay, attendance. Check. Tithes, check. Read Bible every day, check. Go to prayer meeting, check. Help the lady across the street, check. I'm a good person. Dear friend, you know, you can't ever, ever do anything pleasing to God unless you have a mediator. Because be honest. And this is one thing that convicted me as a young person just when I came to Christ. My best was filthy. Your best is filthy. Be honest. You need a mediator. You need someone who is the righteous. John said, if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Who's that? Jesus Christ, the righteous. He's the only one who can please his Father. And he takes all of our filth, he takes all of our, all of those discrepancies, all of those defects, washes them away and presents them perfect, a perfect mediator. And so as we conclude this morning, we can worship without fear. This is what Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist said, of course, when John, his son was born, but when he realized what his son was to do, he said, blessed be the Lord God of Israel. This is in Luke 1. He has visited us, accomplished redemption for his people, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant. He's looking forward to Jesus. To grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve, might worship, is the word, him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. How can you offer to him worship without fear? And be confident he will accept it through this mediator from the house of David, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus the Messiah. We come through him without fear and we can worship. And so delight, when you come to this place, Take that Psalm 100, verse 2, serve the Lord with gladness. Okay, why am I going to church? Well, because I got it. Because I am a living stone. I am a holy priest. I'm going to offer up spiritual sacrifices, and God will accept them through Jesus. That's your task. That's who you are here in Albany Baptist Church. Take it 
and do it. Enter his courts with praise, serve him with gladness. But last thing, I would leave this question. If you are not a Christian, maybe you think, well, I'm doing the right thing. You know, I'm going to church. And I, I put money in the offering. And I put more in than the guy next to me. I saw what he put in. And I, I must be doing okay. Without Jesus, you can do nothing. That's what Jesus himself said to his disciples. Apart from me, John 15, 5. Apart from me, you can do zilch, nada, nothing. And so, dear friend, you want to be right with God? You can't earn it. You can't buy it. You can't do enough. But Jesus did. And you come and say, Lord Jesus, wash me, cleanse me, forgive me, make me new. And you know what? Whoever comes to him, he never kicks them out. He receives sinners. That's who he is. Great is his loving kindness. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the privilege of being living stones in your holy temple to be a holy priesthood, to offer up sacrifices to you, sacrifices of praise, of thanksgiving, of our hymns, of our songs, of our prayers, of our giving, even of our humbly receiving your word. We ask that you would receive these sacrifices today and that they would be a sweet savor unto you and that in the evening worship and even in the coming Lord's days, we would come with more of a sense of purpose, more determination, that we are going to do this great work and offer to you sacrifices which are pleasing unto you. We know what David said, he didn't want to offer you something that cost him nothing. And so we come, we expend our energy, our hearts, that we might give unto you the praise which is your due. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.